Richard Dick John Hagemeyer was born February 25, 1937, to John Carl F. and, and Bertha Marie Hagemeyer, the youngest of seven children. He was baptized at home into St. Paul Luther Church of Soap Creek and confirmed April 1950. He was raised on the family farm west of Pickerel, Nebraska, and attended country school through eighth grade, and then attended Beatrice High School, graduating in 1954. Richard put himself through college at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. He was a member of Alpha Gamma Rho fraternity, in, inducted into the Innocent Society, and joined the Army ROTC. He graduated from UNL, in August 1958 with a Bachelor of Science in Agriculture, in Agriculture degree and a minor in Chemistry. In January 1959, Richard became an active member of the United States Army, was selected for helicopter flight school, and earned his rotary ring, wings in April 1960. He married Phyllis Stokebrand, the daughter of Edwin and Frieda Stokebrand, on July 3, 1960, in DeWitt, Nebraska. Richard was then stationed at, Saint, at Fort Lewis, Washington, with the 4th Infantry Division, Strategic Army Command. His duties included being an instructor pilot while Phyllis taught school on the base. He was discharged from active duty as a first lieutenant in April 1962, but remained in the reserves until he was honorably, honorably discharged in September 1964. Following his discharge, Richard joined Farmers National as a farm manager, moving to Ida Grove in 1963, where he and Phyllis made the permanent home and raised their three children. Richard became a partner in GM Farm Service in 1972, eventually becoming sole owner in early 1977. He quietly retired in 2013. Richard played on the men's fast-pitch fast softball teams for the Ida Grove Town Team and Gomeco. He was actively involved in the local and state Republican Party for many years. He loved baseball, playing cards, woodworking, crosswords, puzzles, Hershey candy bars, chocolate chip cookies, and, and University of Nebraska football. Richard is preceded in death by his parents, brother Oli, and sister-in-law Adele, and nephew John, brother Milton, and sister-in-law Lenora. Richard is survived by his wife Phyllis, two daughters Teresa and Jamie, son Rick, and daughter-in-law Christina, grandchildren Annika, Nathan, Christian, and nieces and nephews. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father, Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The text for the focus this day is, it's actually, I'm not going to read the whole of it, but it's because it's Genesis 1 through 3, so I'm not going to read three chapters, but kind of the gist of it. I'm going to focus specifically on verse 31 in chapter 1. It says, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold... It was very good. You know, in our conversations over the last couple weeks, or the last week, one thing that comes up quite often is that Dick was 
very particular. Everything had its place as to where it had to be. If anything was moved out of place, you would notice. The example I heard of was a very simple one, is where the tools went. If you put the screwdriver in the wrong slot, even if it's a few inches off, he would notice and he would be a little aggravated by it. See, I read that verse there because when God created the heavens, and note, when I go through this illustration, I'm not saying that if you put the screwdriver in the wrong place, you're sinning or anything. But I'm using it as an illustration here. But when God created the heavens and the earth, he created it with a specific design. God fine-tuned everything. There's actually, the word that's even used to this is referred to as natural law. Natural law can be referred to as 32, if it goes below 32 degrees Fahrenheit, that means it's going to freeze. It could refer to the fact that if you jump, if you go walk off, if you jump off a cliff, you're going to hit the ground. But it also refers to God's law. His commandments. And so in Genesis chapter 3, when man was given very particular commands, they were, to, and a specific one included was to not to partake of the fruit in the midst of the garden. The woman, he, hearing the words of the serpent, she took it. And then she gave it to her husband who was with her. Which, by the way, if you don't know about that story, Adam is not innocent by any stretch of the imagination. Because notice, it says he was with her. He heard the whole conversation. He didn't say anything. So he was just as guilty. So she partook of the fruit and then she gave it to him and he partook of it. And the world fell into sin. The word sin actually literally means to miss the mark. It's almost as if, not that you put the screwdriver in the wrong spot. Well, actually, it's not like you miss it just by a few inches. It's more like if you put the screwdriver in the cereal box, which would be a really weird spot to put a screwdriver, I know. And if you did that, we may have to check with if there's any mental conditions going on. But that is what's, what happened when Adam and Eve partook of that fruit, when they rejected God's law, what against his design is the missing of the mark. Could you imagine if you did put the screwdriver, a screwdriver into the cereal box? Would you eat that cereal? Knowing where the screwdriver was? Or what if you need that? That is what sin is. It's missing the mark. It is man trying to come up with his own direction and his own route as to how things go. The consequence of this sin is the very reason we are here today. It is the very reason why there is sickness. It is the very reason why you spent so much time in hospitals in the last year. It is the reason that Dick is dead today. This is the consequence of sin. Not any specific sin, but the sin that we inherited from Adam and Eve. But the thing is, is we don't have to have 
Nobody has to twist our arms and force us to do these things, to say these things, to think these ways. We're all willing victims. We willingly do what we are not supposed to do. The thing that we know we shouldn't do, we do it anyway. And sometimes we do it with a smile. The consequence of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. But see, this is where Genesis 3 has another plan. When Adam and Eve fell into sin, God gave a promise. This is Genesis 3.15. It says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. See, the words that God gave to both of them is known as the proto-oyangelion. That's a fancy Greek word for first gospel. See, God had already had a plan. God had already had a design. He planned that through Eve, and by the way, I don't know if you noticed a little bit ago, during, when we had the Alleluia verse, I inserted in Dick's confirmation verse. That was what's in the middle there, that, those words. I took out the Abraham parts, but that verse is said to Abraham. He is, that's the covenant that God makes with him promising that he would have offspring as numerous as the stars above. See, the offspring that was promised to Abram is the very same offspring that is promised to to Adam and Eve in the garden. It's the same offspring that would be promised later to King David. It is the same offspring who would be born of a 13 to 15-year-old girl in the little town of Bethlehem. That offspring is the Christ. That offspring is Jesus. See, our God worked through history. Every little detail, he fine-tuned it to make sure that his son, that Christ, would be born. And as he grew up and he lived in Jerusalem, he grew up in Bethlehem, eventually in Nazareth. And he went and he preached and he taught and he performed miracles. And eventually, under the reign of Pontius Pilate, he was rejected. He was beaten. He was abandoned. He was betrayed. He was crucified, died, and buried. All according to God's divine plan. In fact, you could read the prophecy of it in Isaiah 53. You can find the prophecy of it in Psalm 22 said that this exact thing would happen. And it was on that cross that he crushed the serpent's head. That God's plan and design was being fulfilled. And on the third day when they came to that tomb, it was empty. For he had risen from the dead. And then by God's design, he worked through history. And see, the thing is, all along this, man does everything he can to, 
to divert God's plan, to divert his design. But through his divine order, it led all the way to Soap Creek, Nebraska, where Dick, Richard, the pastor said, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And in that moment, in the waters of baptism, the blessing of the cross was poured upon him. See, that's why we have this thing right here. It's called a funeral pall. That white cloth is to remind you that right now, at this moment, Dick is in the presence of Christ wearing a robe of righteousness, a robe that he received in the waters of baptism. As Galatians says, that do you not know that all of you who have been baptized into Christ have been put on Christ, have been clothed in Christ? He received that robe of righteousness at his baptism. He confirmed that faith at his confirmation, which again is why a lot of times at confirmation, they're wearing a white robe. Preview of coming attractions. That's even why I'm wearing this white robe. Preview of coming attractions. And it was by God's design that he would meet Phyllis. That they would be married and they would have a wonderful marriage. They'd have three kids, even with a bit of a gap between for the last one. But it's by God's design that you too would be baptized and receive God's grace. You too would, be, would confirm that faith, that you too would receive the salvation accomplished on the cross, that you are united by the blood of Christ. It is by God's design that that faith of Dick would carry out through his life, working many ways in our community, serving in the military. And by the way, I have not figured out what the actual technical name of that is. I know we had a discussion, but if you figured it out, that'd be cool. But I don't know if you know this, but these little can the candle holders here, uh, Dick was the one that actually designed those. It's kind of, you know, I think about this, this the gospel lesson you heard earlier. Said Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. You see that light on the candle. There's a part of the reason for candles is because the early church, they have electricity. But the reason we still have it, it's to remind that to keep our eyes on the light of the world, to keep our eyes on the way, the truth, and the life. And that indeed is what Dick did all through his life. His faith was in Christ. See, the thing is, no works, no good deeds could ever satisfy God's demands. None of us could keep, maintain the righteousness he demands. He demands perfection. And so he gave Christ who is perfect. He clothed, he, he clothes us in Christ. And for that reason, throughout his life, he heard God's word. He received the Lord's Supper, by which he is strengthened in the faith. 
That is what the, that is where hope stands in the midst of death, in the midst of the consequences of sin. See, man does everything it can to divert God's plan. But in the cross of Jesus, he claims. He takes, it's almost like he's taken that screwdriver, even if it's in the cereal box, and putting it right where it's supposed to be. No matter how well we hide it, we can hide it in the best of sandboxes, but God will still find a way to put it into place. Because that is what he is doing. That's what Christ Jesus is doing on the cross. That is what he's doing in the resurrection. As you heard from that epistle lesson from 1 Corinthians, it says that Jesus is the first fruits. And see, this is one of the cool things about one of the cool things that our God gives us. Whenever we receive the Lord's Supper, we are united to those who have died in the faith. The church triumphant, the church militant, unite, come together. In fact, we're having the Lord's Supper tonight and tomorrow morning. So when we receive the Lord's Supper, when we receive that body and we receive the blood of Jesus in, with, and under the bread and wine for the forgiveness of sins, we are united to all those who've died in the faith. We're united to the church triumphant. You're united to Dick. You're united to anyone and everyone that's died in the faith. But ultimately, you're waiting. Even the church triumphant is waiting. Because you see the body, in 1 Corinthians, it talks about the body as being a seed. We're in Iowa. What, when you pl plant a seed, what do you hope happens? Something grows, right? Something comes out of the ground. If it doesn't, then there's something wrong. See, the body is sown into the ground because our Lord, the good shepherd, will speak and he will say, Richard, Wake up, and he will. And so will all who hear the voice of their shepherd. They'll hear him say, wake up, and they will obey, as God will make everything the way it was designed to be, to be even beyond very good. Until that day comes, to God be all glory, Jesus' name, amen. The grace, peace, and mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, keep you in the one true faith, the life everlasting. Amen. Please stand.